Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you all. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. A uh, brief bit about redemption. Uh, we are one church, multiple congregations, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And so therefore, we make disciples in response to that truth. Uh, the best way that we go about making disciples outside of a Sunday service is in a thing called redemption communities. Um, Redemption communities are a smaller gathering of people that meet in various places and time throughout the week to encourage one another in God's word and to live out God's kingdom values uh, throughout the week. Um, if this is something you're interested in, I'm highly recommended. In fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start our Building a Stronger Church series, and all of us in communities are going to be going through a study guide that we put together that are going to be just specific to Redemption Tempe, and we want everyone in the church to be a part of it. So um, we're going to do that in communities. So if you're not in a RC, Redemption Community, I highly recommend that you, you check one out and even be, begin to start this week um, to just grow with one another. One of the things we're focusing on in communities is that we would grow in our communion. Um, and not communion, just the Lord's Supper, which is before me, but our communion with the Lord and our communion with one another. The intimacy that we have with God and the fellowship that we have with one another. Um, and let that that fellowship, that overflow of God and one another be the means of which we share the gospel and word and deed to the world around us. And so I definitely want you to be a part of it. Um, The way you can do that is take the information card that's in the seat in front of you. Should be a pin there as well. Fill out your name, your email address, uh, maybe what nights of the week that you're available, um, and drop that off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back um, by the doors on your way out, and then someone will get back to you and make sure that you get connected into a redemption community. A few announcements that I have here in front of me, so I don't forget them. Um, first is we are having our high school ministry winter camp in February. Um, some of you are thinking, I didn't even know we had high school students at this church. Um, surprise, we do. We have 10 and so we are, we are going to be able to, uh, to, to take them. And so Joe Bates and his wife and a team of just great people. Here's, honestly, some of our best leaders in this church lead in high school ministry. Now, it works out because just as many leaders as there are kids. So um, they're leading them. They're going to be taking them to Pine Top, uh, February 8th through the 10th. Um, the topic is going to be, the focus is going to be the body of Christ. And so if you know high school students that's not already a part of um, or high school ministry, and you want to invite them, you want to pay for them to go, uh, you want to send them up there, uh, invite them um, and make sure that they are a part of that. We'd love to have them be a part of us. Um, again, if you want more information about that, you can wait until next Sunday, um, and we'll have flyers for you. You can show up this Wednesday here, 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m., um, to be with them and, the, and then just walk through them with them and their community. They, their community meets here. Um, or uh, you can take the information card and fill out your name, email address, um, and say, I want more information about this winter camp, and we'll make sure that Joe and his team get you information about that. But uh, be thinking about it. Invite as many kids as you can, any high school kids you know. Just say, hey, you, you look about that age. <laughs> we'll send you, right? And so that'd be a lot of fun for us. And don't let money be an object. I'm not exactly sure what the price is, but, I mean, don't let money be an issue. Excuse me. Um, I think the price is anywhere from, like, 20 to, like, 35 bucks. But don't let that be it, and uh, we'll make sure to, to get our kids sent up there. Uh, Second thing is community and global orientation. We're having our community and global orientation this next Sunday. Uh, You guys are looking at me like, uh, what is the community and global orientation? And uh, you should because um, 
That's fairly new. Um, Essentially, people have been asking us, what is our philosophy on missions uh, locally as well as globally? Um, How do we extend ourselves outside of redemption community? Excuse me, outside of our redemption uh, Tempe congregation? Um, We are going to talk through that. Why we do short-term mission trips, where we go, and then why we go there. Um, We do believe that it is a part of us to be a part of God's mission, to be on mission um, that, that God has given us. And then particularly here in Tempe, how do we go about doing that? And so, Pastor Jim Mullins, uh, as well as uh, one of our pastoral residents, Oye Waddell, they will lead that meeting. It's next Sunday, 1015 to 1040. That's in between the first service and the second service in the morning and building 200, room 200. Um, There'll be signs to point you there. Everyone is welcome. Um, I encourage you all to be there, ask some questions, facilit- the guys will be able to facilitate some questions, and kind of let you know where we're going over the next few, uh, couple of years. Uh, two things that we'll be able to do this year is, one, we're going to have um, an international trip, short-term missions trip, where you don't even leave Phoenix, meaning you get to sleep in your same bed. So Jim did that last year as our inaugural trip for that, and people got to be exposed to the many nations that God has brought to our city that we can disciple, um, and that's that's a great, great um, experience. The other one is we're having an urban trip. And so with the urban trip within our city, we'll see inner city, uh, urban poor, urban elite, businesses, and so forth um, as a missions field of which we can also engage. And so you'll be able to, to hear all of those questions and how we as a church and you, part of this church, are able to be on mission uh, for the Lord around us. And so uh, again, that's next, that's next Sunday, uh, 1015 to 1040, uh, briefly here in room 200. That's all I have for our time of announcements. If you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and meet me. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 17. We're going to be walking through verses 6 through 19, so a lot of scripture. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and please keep it raised high uh, so, so the, one of the guys, one of the gals will be able to see you. Uh, again, keep it raised really, really high so you can have a copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't own a Bible, keep this, the Bible that we're giving you so that you can have you can have God's word with you. Write your name in it. Write it in it. It's totally fine um, so that you can read God's word throughout the week. Uh, J- John chapter 17. We've been in this series um, looking at John chapter 17. Last week was the first week. We saw that uh, verses 1 through 5, Jesus was praying for himself. Um, he was praying that, that God would be glorified in and through him. And then the prayer that we said that we, we could pray, um, it would be a dangerous prayer, is that we would look at God and say, Lord, um, because of your son Jesus, in response to the gospel, do whatever it takes to make your name glorified through me, uh, through my friendships, through, through my work, through my marriage, uh, through my children, whatever it takes, God, be glorified through me. Um, the second part of Jesus' prayer, Jesus begins to focus not so much praying for himself but he's praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples, um, the people who would follow him, the people who would believe in his word and trust in his word. Um, explicitly, he's talking to the 11 disciples that are just before him, not the 12. We'll, we'll talk about that in more in detail. But the central prayer uh, is prayed in verse 11 and is that God would keep us in his name. And so the prayer is a missional prayer or a prayer of God himself, Jesus, saying, I'm leaving this world. I'm not taking the people out of this world. I want them to stay here, but as they stay here, I want the mission of God, God's mission, to be continued in and through the church. Um, So local churches don't have missions. Organizations, Christian organizations don't have missions. Our mission, if it's going to be biblically informed, is that we partner with, in response to Jesus, the mission of God. And that mission, as we see through the life of Christ, is to glorify him and everything that we do. 
And so the church is God's primary means. God loves the local church. He cares for the local church. Jesus gave his life for the local church. And now in response to that, churches, meaning people, we live in response to Jesus' work on mission for him, and it's a continuation of bringing glory to his name. However, Jesus also taught that in this world we have tribulations. And so three things that he prays for about God keeping us and guarding us and protecting us as we live on mission. The first is that we are kept in unity or fellowship with the Lord. The second one is that we're kept in joy, that we can experience not our joy, but Christ's joy being completed or perfected in us. And so we're kept in unity, we're kept in joy, and then the last one, it keeps us in order that we may be set apart for service. So unity, joy, and he keeps us, protects us, that we may be set apart for service or holy work in the world that God has called us to serve. So before we look into um, his word, would you guys bow your heads with me? Let's ask God by his Holy Spirit to illuminate it uh, and uh, guide our time that we may be encouraged in his word. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that because of the work of Christ, that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit that we may see you, that we may know you, and that we may follow you. As we read through these words of Jesus' prayer, Father, we pray that we would be encouraged by your sovereign hand in our life. That the mission that you have for us, Lord, is an amazing mission. It is a large mission, and it's bigger than who we are. And yet, Lord, we know with full confidence that we are able to complete it only by your grace and by the strength in which you've given us. I pray that everything that we do today, Lord, would lead us towards the, the Lord's table, that we can remember the strength that we have in the work, and through the work of Jesus, your Son. And we pray for those who are in fellowship with us today, Lord, who do not yet know you, Lord, that you would clearly communicate to them, that you would remove me, God, remove my issues, um, Lord, that you may communicate to them. God, help us to be your people on your mission for your glory and for your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, One of my new favorite shows, it's not a new show, but it's a, it's a, show that I like is, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Shark Tank. Um, it's a show where there's a bunch of rich people who have a lot of money, and then they have these entrepreneurs come in who uh, they may or may not want to invest in. And I don't know why I love this show. One, I'm not rich, nor am I an entrepreneur, but I love watching those two interact with each other on this show. Because uh, usually, like the rich people, they have power. And they get to decide how they're going to use that power. And so what happens is these little cronies come in with their ideas, and um, they usually have some gimmick, something that they've created, and they want a certain amount of money back. And you can see that there's inequality in this, in this room. The people with power are just look like a shark. They're looking at these people going, see what you got. And the people who walk in, they're walking all nervous, and they're trying to explain um, how they came up with this invention and if it's patent or not. And, and I'm just like, my heart's racing. I'm like, are they going to get the money? They're not getting the money. Oh, I would invest into that, but I don't got no money, right? And so there's, a, there's just this interact that's happen, interaction that's happening that, that I love. In fact, yesterday I was watching when this guy had this, this invention, the keep your sunglasses or your glasses connected to you that they won't fall. And he wanted X amount of money to have a certain percentage. Well, the girl who's on it, who like runs QVC, I guess, she looks at him and she goes, listen, I'm going to pay you this much money. You're going to give all of it to me. And he goes, well, I want to hear my other options. No, I don't want anybody else in this panel to speak. I need to know if you're in or not. And I was like, dang, right? And he's just sitting there. He's sweating. This grown man is sweating. And she's looking at him like, listen, I run QVC, right? And, and the guy just sat there and unfortunately... Um, um, something happened with my kids. I don't know what happened. So if you guys watched that episode, let me know what he did. <laughs> 
the, the, the reason why I use that, I use that, that story because there, there is inequality there. Like the people of power have something. Um, there's, there's other people who think, I want you to do something. I have a venture. I have a project that I, that I want to go forth, but I need you in order for this to happen. Well, when we hear Jesus praying, we, we, we see this dialogue. If we can picture that same room, except for there's not inequality there. There's total equality. You see, within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they are ontologically the same, meaning in essence they are the same, but their functions are different. You see, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Father, but they are equal. And so when Jesus walks into that room, so to say, and the Father and the Son are communicating, he's saying, God, uh, Father, I want you to do something. The Father already wants to do it because they have the same plan. They're the same project, they're the same mission, and that is for the name of God to be known, primarily to be seen in the work and through the work of Christ Jesus to redeem um, broken people and the broken world, to heal this world, to redeem it, that we may live with him in a new heavens and a new earth, fully established and fully restored. And so when we see Jesus praying, it's much different than the shark tank, because when Jesus begins to talk to the Father, and says, okay, I want you to invest in something. I want your power to be given to a particular group of people in order for this venture to go forth. We know it's going to happen. So Jesus, in verses 6 through 19 here, comes before the Father, and he's saying, Father, in order for this mission to go forth, I'm leaving. I'm about to leave this world. But this is a group of 11. And what we'll see next week, every single person who would believe in the message of the group of this 11, that means many of us in this room who have believed in Jesus Christ. He says, this this is what I want you to do for them. This is what I want your power to be invested in. I want your power to be invested in a way that they would know you forever, that they would have deep, intimate relationship with you, that they would be kept in you. And then in this world, the way that they would live out this mission, that they would be kept ultimately, that Jesus' joy would be perfected in us. And then lastly, and everything that they do, and everything that we say, as the people of God, that we would be set apart for holy service to the Lord and all that we do. And, and that's Jesus' prayer. Uh, most of our time will be spent in verses 11 through 19, but so that we can catch ourselves up to verse 11, here's what Jesus says in verse 6. He just finished praying 1 through 5 for God's glory to be manifested through him, and ultimately that we would know eternal life, which means to know God and to know him forever and, the, and to grow in knowing him. In verse 6, he says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them your words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And so here's what's happening here. Just, just Jesus is praying to the Father on behalf of um, essentially Christians. Um, primarily he's talking to the 11 disciples and everyone else who would come to know him through him, but he's saying they've received your word, I've manifested you to them, meaning you know God, you know who he is, you know what Jesus has done, you believed upon the gospel through the action and work and words of Christ Jesus, and he's saying that, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to place your faith in Christ Jesus. He says, I've done that with them. And, and he says, they've kept your word. Now, the word keep is going to keep coming up over and over again. In fact, I do believe in these, these verses from 6 to 19, that is the central word there. Um, the first verse is uh, 1 through 5 was the word glory. And then 6 through 19 is kept. And the next week, it's one. Um, so here, kept, it communicates something. And he's saying, I want something for this particular group of people. Jesus goes forth to let us know that it is a particular group of people. Verse 9, I am praying for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, at first, that just doesn't sit well at first. You know, he said, Jesus is saying, I'm praying for them, but I'm not praying for the world. Meaning, he's saying, I'm not praying for every single person in this world. I'm praying for them. Now, that may seem harsh, but the, the reality is not every single person will believe in Jesus. Not every single person in this room right now believes in Jesus. My prayer is that you would. But, but Jesus is saying, in order for this mission to go forth, you see, Jesus is praying a missional prayer, meaning that God's glory would go forth, that the name of Christ, the name of God, it would be known amongst the nations. It would be known amongst our workrooms and our families and our neighborhoods. And there would be proclamation and demonstration of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm praying for those who would believe in me. I'm praying for those who the, the Father sovereignly has given to me. Those are the ones. I'm praying for them. I'm not just praying for everybody. Now hear me on this. That's not Jesus saying that he doesn't love people. That's not the saying that Jesus doesn't care for all people. You see, sometimes churches overemphasize the doctrine of total depravity. What total depravity teaches is that man has, does not have the ability to reach out to God for salvation unless God and his sovereign mercy and love, as well as grace, reaches out to man. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, opens up his or her heart, that's the word called regeneration, that they can reach out to God. And they said, apart from that work, man, given 10 out of 10 times, will never reach out to God. That's total depravity. We are separated from him. However, Sometimes total depravity is so emphasized that we are, you know, you have Christians who walk around and say, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm the worst, no, I'm worse than you. And it's just almost just like a, um, you've, you've heard those testimonies before, people? Um, that you, you hear a testimony of someone who lived a wild life and then God saved them, and we usually clap and applaud. Well, then you have these kids um, that grow up, some of us are them, and um, you didn't have a bad life. Um, and yet, the only testimonies you've heard is, I was really, really bad, and I, I killed somebody, and I killed another person, and then God saved me, and I stopped killing people, right? And it's like, and then you have your testimony, and you're like, gosh, my mom was a Christian, my dad was a Christian, I think I got saved at Awana. I mean, it's just like, what, what, what am I, that's so funny you guys laugh at that, so I knew you grew up around church. I never, uh, true story, I never knew what Awana was until two years ago. Someone was talking about, I was like, what is that? I'm like, oh, all right, I'm going to use that, and all the Christians are going to laugh, Right? <laughs> So you, you, you have that testimony, right? And then you go, oh, I have a boring testimony. But then when someone puts you on stage and say, tell us your testimony, you feel like you have to make it worse. Oh, well, I grew up in a Christian home, but let me tell you, I was bad. I mean, there was this one time I stole my colored pencils from my, there weren't mine from my brothers, and I was bad. Then God saved me, right? It's like, no, 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 no. Um, when Jesus, we have to understand the total privacy is a good, healthy doctrine, we have to understand what it means, like the doctrine of common grace. Common grace is that God does love all people and that God has a special care for the people and who he's going to save, the people who would come to him. But common grace says that, that, the, that God reigns on the just and the unjust alike, meaning there are people in this room, there are people in our families and in, in our jobs and our neighborhoods, they don't know God, but they do good things. Sometimes total depravity could be that people who aren't Christian are just evil people, and they're all walking around looking to get us. And that's not true. Because we know by experience, we have friends and, 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 and family members, people who we love that are just really good people, that do really good things. And we have, that don't love Jesus. And on the flip side, we have friends that are not that good of a people, and they don't do a lot of good things, but they love Jesus, Right? And so we go, it doesn't mean just because you love Jesus that you're going to be some great person. It means you love Jesus, that somehow, by God's Spirit, he will make you ultimately submissive to him and that you'd follow him. And so when Jesus says, 
I'm not praying for the world. He's not saying that he doesn't love people. But he is saying it's not so much that he doesn't love people, but some people won't love him. And he's saying the people who have responded, the people who would respond, I'm praying for them. Just the thought of that. Jesus praying for us 2,000 years ago. I'm praying for them. And later he'll say, I'm praying for those who would believe the message of the apostles, which every single one of us here that are Christian, that's who, he, that's who he's praying for. That Jesus, within history, says, I'm praying for them, but I'm not praying for this group. And here's what he's praying for in the context of his mission. He's saying, I'm praying for the mission. I'm praying, um, he says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. Verse 10, all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Here's the central theme here. Holy Father, keep them in your name. First time in the New Testament, um, only time in the New Testament, that the phrase Holy Father is mentioned. You see, Jesus uses the word Father. Um, Paul uses the word Father. We should definitely pray Father. We talked about that last week because um, through the work of Christ now, we've been adopted into God's family. That, 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 that's intimacy. But Holy Father, it speaks of his awesome purity. And when I say awesome purity, I'm not just using the word awesome like some, you know, ASU teenager or something like that. Like, the real use of the word awesome should always go towards God. It's awesome purity. Um, he's saying, I'm leaving this world. They're staying in this world. Holy Father, um, keep them in your name. And he says, keep them in your name. Now, the first, the word keep there, um, it's, it speaks of God doing something. The first time we came across this word was um, in the beginning of First Peter, in, in chapter 1, verse 4. It was talking about our inheritance, those in Christ Jesus, your inheritance that is kept for you in heaven, it being guarded by God, meaning God is strong-arm in it, that no one could snatch it away. It speaks of his sovereign hand and his mercy and his love. And so, so Jesus is saying, Father, I want you to invest into a group of people here, and what I want you to do with those people who by faith you, um, that, that I have saved and who you have given to me, I want you to keep them. Um, the word means to set your eyes upon, to be watching. And, 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 and not in a way that sometimes we view God, that, that God is watching us, and people use that to scare you, like he's, he's, he's watching you, right? It's just like, no, not that sense. You, you, you have that sense when you, if you've ever taken a test before, um, if you ever, whatever, it's an SAT or an ACT or whatever it may be, you, you're taking a test, you know you're not cheating. But as soon as the instructor or the monitor walks by you, you go, oh, shoot, I'm cheating, right? <laughs> it's like, you get all nervous, that that his, his eyes upon us is not supposed to make us nervous. Another word, it says he's guarding. That, that meaning God himself is making sure that no one else can get it. And so he's saying, make sure something, ensure that the mission that would go forth, if God, you are in it. And, and Jesus is saying, God is in it, so keep them in your name. When he says keep us um, in his name, you know, there's a lot to do with names. Like, names are important. And, and before our time, I mean, definitely centuries before, names were really important. In some cultures, names are still really important. And not to say they're not important in ours, it's just not as much, you know? Every once in a while, you'll meet somebody who, who really loves their name, right? You know, I'm Michael the Fifth. And it's like, hi, Mike, <laughs> right? And it's like, no, no, you don't understand. There were four before me. I'm like, yeah, figure that out. You've been the fifth. Um, there, 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 there's people who are proud of the name. And then there's some people, like, some of us just, we just have names. Like, our parents just, just gave us names. I would be one of those people. Um, in fact, I do not like my name. Um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't call me Ricardo. It's fine. I've been being called that for 30 years now. I'm used to it. But a little background on my name, all right? Uh, <laughs> this story is really bad, so let me just prep you on this. My, my mom, I was born in 1982 in Mississippi. 
Um, just to let you know, maybe it's changed, but back then, anything goes in Mississippi. So my mom has me, and she names me Ricardo. Um, um, and people always say, how'd you get your name? Are you Latino? No, no, I'm black. <laughs> African-American of African-American descent, right? And so no Latino, not Dominican, and my mom named me Ricardo um, after there was a TV show, some of you may have heard of it, I Love Lucy. Um, <laughs> So my mom, mom's like, yeah, I named you after the Mexican guy on that, on that show. And I said, uh, he's Cuban, but whatever. Um, it gets worse. So my mom really named me Ricky after Ricky Ricardo. And then my middle name was Dwayne after my father's uh, dad's middle name. Well, my 17-year-old aunt called up to the hospital the day after I was born. My mom was still in the hospital and said that she was my mother. Hi, this is Brenda. I'm in room such and such. Hey, I need to change my son's name. Do they care? Do they ask her to come in, sign some papers, show some ID? No. Well, ma'am, what would you like to change it to? I wanted to change it to Ricardo because she wanted to keep the Ricky Ricardo thing. And so she spelled Ricardo wrong. Therefore, I have two C's in my name. Gets worse. And then, and then she thought, okay, we should give him what she would call, quote-unquote, a black name for his middle name. So my middle name is Krishan. And so the story goes, now they come up, tell my mom, hey, you know, uh, my aunt comes in, hey, I just changed the name uh, from, Ricar- from Ricky to Ricardo, so it's Ricardo Krishan. And my mom goes, huh. Oh. <laughs> and that's, that's it, right? <laughs> and the worst part about it all is my whole family calls me Sean. So uh, they didn't care, right? I just got this name. Uh, and so we said we're ending that with our family. We are not giving our kids uh, Latino names because we're not Latino. Um, <laughs> it's all good, but, I mean, if I had named my kid Ricardo, it would have been the same thing again for him as well for me. Uh, but names, names, names do matter, right? Um, we, we, we pick names because we, there's some significance there. When it comes to the name of God, when it comes to why, we, when we pray in Jesus' name, that's not just something we do because we have to do it in order for God to bless the prayer. Um, we do it because it's not even just the name of Jesus or the name of Christ, which means Messiah. It, it is praying in the character, the purposes, um, the mission of that particular name, who that, the, the totality of that being. So when, when Jesus is saying, Keep them in your name, into the Father's name. He's saying in his character, in his attributes, his love, his mercy, his justice, his mission. He says, keep them in your name. And so what Jesus is praying here ultimately is that we are always one with the Lord. Let them be kept in unity. And the unity that Jesus is praying for is a unity of every single man, every single woman, child who would have a relationship with God through the work of Christ Jesus. So it all boils down, what Jesus is praying here is what theologians have dubbed is the, is the doctrine of perseverance. Meaning that once a person believes in Christ Jesus, that they are always in oneness and in fellowship with who God is. That they are, re- they are reconciled to God once and for all. Like that is not something that they did. That's not something by their moral attainment or obedience that made that happen. And therefore, it's not about their, their, their moral lapse that makes them lose that. There are very few things that, that, that I will get very dogmatic over. One of those things, and when it comes to doctrine, 
When it comes to doctrine, there are certain things that I can see the other side and go, I get it, God-loving people, whether it's the doctrine of election or the doctrine of predestination, really, really hard doctrines that, that many men and women for years have struggled with. But when it comes to the doctrine of, of, of uh, the perseverance of the saints, I, I get really close fists with that one. Here's why. There's, it's dangerous to teach that someone could lose their salvation. And get it, many of us grew up that way. We naturally think that way. I know when I became a Christian, the way I thought of Christianity was God himself had opened up my heart, and I had believed in the gospel for the first time, and now it was on me through my obedience and trusting in God's word to make sure that I'm walking in step with that. And if not, I'm out again. I almost tripped. I almost tripped. I'm all right. I'm back. Ugh. Used to be an athlete. Not anymore. All right. Gosh, that would have been bad, but I'm back. There, there, there is a sense where I felt like I had to, through my own obedience, make sure to maintain that. And then I begin to read the scripture, and gosh, that's just not true. That's not true. Here's why, here's why it's harmful. When people teach that someone can lose their salvation, there's an implication there that, that's hidden there. That means you didn't do anything to gain it first. You didn't do anything to gain it. That, that should create in us a humility, that we look at our friends and we look at our family members that don't believe in God, and we cannot by any, by any means go, well, why not? Because we know the only reason why we do is because he did something in us. And because we did nothing to gain it, we do nothing to lose it. If you taught and held to a teaching of the, that you can lose your salvation, you could do something in order to lose it, that must mean that you must be able to do something to gain it. And that would be completely in contradiction with all of Scripture. Like, all of Scripture. And it's, it's unhealthy. Uh, it creates people who are walking around wondering, are they Christian or are they not Christian? And the Bible teaches assurance. Jesus is praying, Lord, I want them to know this. I want them to know that they are kept. I want them to know that they are yours. This is because every single one of us, even though, even though we hold to a, a particular truth of the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, we've all questioned our salvation. We've all questioned it. We've all had moments in our life where there'd be deep depression that we get struck with and that we're in, you know? Or maybe it mo- it's moments of perpetual sin. There's a particular sin that we can't kick. Or, or, or just doubt, just doubt. And we wonder, not so much the existence of God. Man, am I his? Would a Christian do that? Why do I want that? Would a Christian do that? And so to teach an unhealthy doctrine of that, man, it would, just, it would make us schizophrenic. And that's why Jesus, as he's discipling his people, and now as he's praying to the Father, he says, Father, they're in this world They are going to have issues. They're going to have tribulation. They're going to have depression. They're going to have broken marriages. They're going to have so much junk in their life. They're going to struggle with the consequences of their own sin, the consequences of of people who sinned against them. What, What they should never struggle with, Lord, what I want them to know is that they are kept in your name once and for all because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like that, 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 that's an important truth because not only would we just, we just save to go straight to heaven. No. We're in this world. Jesus is going to say later, I pray that you don't take him out of his world. There's something that I want to teach them as they're on my mi- the mission, my mission for them. But I want them to have intimacy. I want them to have unity. I want them to have fellowship. I want them to have communion with you, Father. In the same way Jesus says that he had, fa- he had communion with the Father. That Jesus came into this world to bring glory to the Father and not just to save us from our sins, but that we may now be ushered into and have privilege and access to God as Father. And that access is always there. That the door is never closed. The door is always open for those who in Christ Jesus desire to fellowship with God. That is a beautiful truth. It is a beautiful truth, and it's a beautiful promise. However, it just doesn't stay in the sense of truth. Um, 
It's just not a doctrine. Doctrine's really, very, very, very helpful. But if doctrine is not applied to our hearts, if doctrine is not applied to our lives, it's just something we can talk about. And so Jesus goes further in this prayer for us to be about God's mission, not only that we are, we are eternally kept by the Father and have fellowship and unity with him, but we experience this by God himself keeping us so that we may have Jesus' joy. Um, John, or excuse me, Jesus continues in his prayer. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. That word comes up again. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas. That's what I said earlier. Um, he's praying explicitly towards the 11, not the 12 disciples. Um, it says that Judas, by scripture, that's what happened. A scripture said in, in Psalm, twice in the, in the book of Psalms, that, that this person who we know now to be Judas would reject Jesus. He would reject him. And Jesus himself knew it. Jesus, when they were eating at, at the original Lord's table, he said, listen, some of you, one of you are going to betray me. And Jesus says, even in compassion, gosh, you're going to betray me. You're never going to believe. And you see Jesus' compassion there. And he says, it'd be better for you if you wouldn't have been born. So it's not like Jesus didn't have the ability to it did not Jesus didn't love or care for him. It had everything to do with Judas. It had everything to do with Judas saying, I'm not, I'm not going to believe. And then for the rest of us, that, that should be a warning for us in the sense of saying Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Um, we are kept, though. It should be a comforting that he's not going to lose us. And then the way that we experience that, the way we experience that being kept in fellowship with him is through Jesus' joy being played out in our life. Verse 13. But now, but as a transition... But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Um, he says, these things that he speaks in the world that they may have my joy, his joy fulfilled in themselves. I love that. He's not saying that they may just have joy. He's saying that they may have my joy. There's a particular joy that Jesus had. And Jesus is saying, I'm saying these things that they may have joy. Now, the question is, okay, all right, I want joy. Goodness, I want joy, and I want to have joy in the midst of my life. Um, so how do I get it? What are, quote-unquote, these things that Jesus is talking about? Well, if you flip over to John 15, chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 9. It should just be to the left of your, your Bible there. Um, the context here is Jesus is teaching his disciples, um, and he's teaching them how they will grow in him and how they would live life in him. And he uses a picture of that of a vine and a branch. And he says, you know, a branch can only bear fruit if it's connected to the vine. And then he goes further to say, I'm the vine. Jesus is saying, I am the vine, and you are the branch. If you are going to produce fruit, then you got to abide in me. Um, you have to abide in me, and you got to be connected to me, believe into Jesus. And upon believing in him, um, behavior flows from belief. Um, that upon believing in Jesus, ultimately we have our being in who Jesus is, and our doing always proceeds our being, what God has done on our behalf. And then Jesus says this, and, and, and speaking of joy, these things, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is not saying, um, that he's not praying in John 17 that the disciples would have joy. And you already have it. He's saying, I want it to be fulfilled, or the word there is perfected or completed. 
And these things that he's saying is that of obedience. Like, do what God tells you to do. It's obedience. The, the way that you are going to experience, so to so, the keptness of God in your life, the fellowship with the Lord, the intimacy with God, that we will be his for all eternity, um, the way that will thrust us out into mission is one, knowing who we are in Christ Jesus, and also experiencing that through obedience, that we understand God's grace has made us connected with the vine. And it's God's grace that sustains us there, and it's also God's grace that motivates us now being connected to the vine to produce fruit. And our fruit flows from our relationship with God. It flows from that we've been made one with God by the work of Christ, and it shows itself through obedience. Obedience, that is a word that somehow seems archaic to us now, right? People don't talk about just obedience. Um, So often it's like, well, I'm a grace guy. I'm all about God does everything. I mean, he saved me. I had nothing to do with it. I can't lose my salvation. Gosh, you just said that. Then what is it for us to do? Nothing, right? No, 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 no. A Christian who loves God, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, will follow Jesus. And Jesus says, he was impeccable. And what did he do? I obeyed the Father's commandments. What that lets us know is obedience by no means gives us favor before the Lord. We are not trying to merit favor before God by obedience. No, Jesus says, I love God and he loves me. I obeyed. In the same way, if you love God and you know God loves you in Christ Jesus, then you obey. Like that is a result of the grace that you've experienced. And sometimes when we talk about obedience, like this is what Jesus says to do. This is what the Bible says to do. People start saying, oh, Ricardo, that's legalism. No, idiot, that's not a legalism. That's what Jesus said, Right? Like, there's this whole fear of legalism. I get it. Legalism is very unhealthy. However, you know how it's unhealthy? Disobeying Jesus, right? Like, that's, that's equally as unhealthy. Jesus says the way that you would experience joy, hear me on this, you want to experience joy, obey God. Obey God. Make a habit out of obeying God. Um, make a habitual habit out of obeying God and abiding in him, praying to him, trusting in him, knowing his word, <laughs> Knowing his word. I was talking to a couple the other day, and I said, hey, you, you never read the Bible, huh? Not like, oh, I didn't read it today. Like, you never read it. They're like, no, we just listen to you preach. I'm like, I'm not that good. No, no, no one is that good, right? This is Jesus' inspired words. Trust me, he's a lot better, right? There's read the Bible in order to understand to know the God of the Bible. He says, if you want to have joy, obey. Some of us, um, here's what I'm saying. Sin does not ruin or destroy your relationship with God disobedience does not ruin or destroy your relationship with God. However, it does, it does get in the way of the fellowship. There is a distance. There's a sense that you begin to uh, hear him less, desire him less. There, there is a disconnect here. Not that you'll ever be thrown out of the kingdom of God, but there's a disconnect. Because sin wedges a hole there. It wedges a gap there between you and God. Now, God and his sovereignty will get your attention, um, or you, by grace, could already follow him. Most of us know what it's like to have joy. And when I say joy, I'm not talking happiness. See, happiness is something that is, is, is um, essentially worldly happiness. It's a few elements you need to have. You need to have healthy friendships and relationships, maybe uh, a, pers- a career that you're pursuing that's meaningful, um, uh, maybe, uh, maybe a good house, maybe a husband, maybe a dog, a cat, chicken, duck, something, right? Circumstances need to be okay. However, if you don't have that spouse, if you don't have that house, if you don't have that meaningful job, if you didn't get that degree, if you have uh, particular pains in your bodies that just won't go away, you struggle with depression, all of those things, if they're in your life, then you can't have happiness. That's worldly happiness. 
But joy is something that is rooted in our identity and who we are in God. Joy is something that God himself sovereignly and graciously places within us. This joy that we have in Christ Jesus is an unspeakable joy. It's a joy in the midst of circumstances, no matter what they may be, good circumstances or bad circumstances. It is not a joy that makes you smile all the time. Sometimes in the midst of tears, it's a joy. It's understanding who you are before the face of God. Because let's just be honest, who really knows who they are to begin with? But we can have a confidence of who we are in the Lord, what God is doing in and through us, what God is doing in this world. So in the midst of depression, in the midst of pain, in the midst of a broken marriage, in the midst of disobedient children, in the midst of relationships that are scarred with your parents forever, there's a joy. There's a joy that God gives. And the way that we experience that joy or the way that Jesus' joy is most completed or best completed, perfected in our life, is us looking to Jesus and upon looking to him, following him. Guys, that's discipleship. That's every single thing that a person in this room in Christ Jesus has signed up for, and that is to follow Jesus to follow him. And he says, in doing that, I speak these things in order that their joy may be fulfilled, that his joy, that God's joy may be fulfilled in us. Let me tell you this. We can do a conference on what it means to be missional. What does it mean to be outward focused? What does it mean to live all of life being all for Jesus? We can, we can have 18 different things and a ton of speakers, but I think Jesus' prayer boils it down for us. Know who you are in Jesus and know that you are kept by the Father. From there, in response to that truth, obey God that Jesus' joy may be fulfilled in you. If, you, if we collectively understood those two things, uh, just a union with God, a communion with him, to know him, to trust him, and then also to obey, with him, obey him and follow Jesus as disciples of Jesus, out of our overflow, there becomes our witness. Out of our overflow, it becomes our witness. That doesn't mean that you're, perf- you're perfect. No, we trust that he's perfect on our behalf, that he's our justification. He's our sanctification, that God is our redemption. And out of an overflow of that, we can't help, like the apostle said, but speak and say of what we've seen and what we've heard in Christ Jesus. And so God in his strong arm, he says, I will keep you. Jesus is praying that, that God himself would keep us and that God himself would give us through obedience and response to grace um, a joy perfected. And the last thing is, in keeping us, that we'd be set apart for service or holy work. Um, um, Jesus continues in this prayer. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I love that. I just, I don't know why I love, I just love Jesus being like, listen, God, I've done my deal. I'm out of here. But they got to stay, right? There's just a sense of Jesus is saying, don't take them out of the world, keep them here. But then he says, but keep them from the evil one. And the evil one, it's Satan. It's Satan. Like what will get in our way um, is not even just us. There there is a distraction that comes from Satan, and it comes in multiple ways. And Jesus is praying, God, um, keep them safe from him. Not keep them safe from issues in this world, but keep them safe from him and evil in itself. Because that, that it's happening. Um, but you need to know Satan can't take away these essential things that God has given us so that us, for us to be a true missional people. He cannot take away the relationship that you have with God. He cannot. Paul says this, um, nothing in all of creation's angels or demons nor anything can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. He can hurt you. He can harm you. 
break up your marriage, take away your kids, take away your skin, take away your thoughts, take away, I mean, just even your sight. I mean, we see it in the Bible. He can do a lot of things, but he can't take away the most important thing about you, and that is Christ in you. The, 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 second, the second thing that we know from, from the, the evil one, why we need to be protected is not only can he take that away, he can't take away our joy. Guys, he can't take away our joy. If you feel like your joy has been taken away, it could be because your joy has been in, in, in material things. Your joy has been in situations, and your, and your joy is situational. When things are going good, you're full of joy. When things are not going good, you're not full of joy because your joy has been placed upon circumstances. He can't take away your joy because your joy is completely rooted in the vine in Jesus Christ. He cannot take those things away. You may be hurtful. You may, excuse me. You may be being hurt. You may be harmed, but he can't take it away. He cannot. And Jesus says, because they're going to be in this world, Lord, it's going to be hard. I mean, he says in, in, um, in John chapter 16, verse 33, that in this world, that they're going to have tribulation. But he says, take hold. I, I, I brought you peace. And that peace is only within Jesus. And so in the midst of this, of our relationship being kept with him, that we are in unity with him, and our joy uh, is being completed in Christ Jesus through obedience and us being protected by the enemy, he says, now, here, here, here's the last part of this particular section of his prayer, is that I'm going to keep you that you are set apart. You are set apart for a particular purpose. Um, verse 16, it says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Here's what Jesus is saying. That word sanctify there, um, the word sanctify there means it's a religious word that was used to say to be set apart for a holy purpose, right? And, and, I, and that's why I said that we're kept for service or holy work. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to say holy work is because many of us think that holy work is what pastors do and people who work for churches, and that's not true. This has had nothing to do with your occupation, so to say, but the one in whom you work for. Um, and I'm not talking if you work for Intel or at Intel. No, I'm saying those of you, um, those of us in this room who have been called by God, those of us in this room who are being kept by God, those of us in this room by faith will obey. He's saying these are the particular people Jesus says that he said they're set apart, meaning our holiness does not come from our actions. Our holiness comes from the active work and the finished work of Christ Jesus. And he's the one who sets us apart. So therefore, whatever it is that you do, um, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a plumber, whatever it is that you do, a student, whatever it is that you do, that you are being set apart for God's holy work. Um, this, is, this is something God is saying, I'm taking the people of God, the church, on his mission. Remember, we don't have a mission. God has a mission. We say all of life is offered Jesus because it's Jesus' continuation of the mission, and now the church, in response to Jesus, equipped by the Holy Spirit, being sent in the same way Jesus sent. I mean, that's what Jesus says here in verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So what does it look like for us um, to to be God's people, to be sent into the world, Um, to be God's sanctified or set apart people in the world? What what does that mean? Well, let me just give you a few examples of what it doesn't mean first. Um, Some people look at um, the world, uh, the word set apart, and to be set apart, they've looked at it as being set away. And so there's a lot of Christian organizations and churches that, that I would say veer too far this way. Now, to do justice to them, they want to do it because they want to be holy. They want, they want to be holy, and they don't want to mix with things that are unholy. And so they move away from particular people. They don't watch particular music. Um, they don't listen to particular, uh, watch particular music. They don't watch music. They don't watch particular movies or listen to particular music. They don't do that, right? Like, don't, they don't drink because if you drink, you'll get drunk. If you dance, you'll get pregnant. Like, all of that stuff. And so 
there, there, there's a sense where, again, I think they start off in a good way. They want to be holy. God says, be holy for I'm holy. But they're not around people. And I found this very interesting um, is that they will say, hey, you know, we got to make sure that we are witness to the Lord, so we got to be around um, our friends that don't know Jesus. But what happens is as soon as a person who doesn't know Jesus now knows Jesus, he or she is now in this community, and all they do is just hang out with people in this community, and they say, hey, we, and then, you know, leave your friends, leave your families, they're bad for you, they're bad influences on you. Yeah, you're right, you're right, they're really bad, they're evil. And then they come over here to this community, and they go, hey, you got to make sure that you're, you know, sharing the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. It's like, I used to have all these friends, and now I don't, right? And just, they're, just, they're just too far this way. But then the pendulum swings all the way here, um, where... They would mention the name of Jesus, but when you're around them, when you're in their services, there's nothing that's unique. There's nothing that, there's no convictions of the Holy Scripture. Everything is questions. Nothing is answered. Um, um, they question even the existence or the deity of Jesus, and it's a combination. that There's no difference between this particular people and the rest of the world. And, and I would love to come here and say, and here's redemption. No. No, no. Here's the deal. We have all those people here. Some of you, you're over here. You're afraid of everything. Like everything bothers you. Everything is, oh, we're going to, we're going to be liberal. No, we're just going to be Christian, right? And over here, you're, you're afraid of the conservatives. And over here, you're so afraid of conservatives that you don't believe in truth. Or you say you believe in truth, but you function as something that's completely outside of that. What we are saying is not that redemption is there. Gosh, we're just praying by God's grace. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the same way that I was sent, this is how we are to be in the world. We are supposed to be sent like Jesus. Jesus put on flesh and he became man and moved into a neighborhood, moved into a community, a Jewish community, became a Jew, became a man. All of those things in order that he would be a representation and a witness of who God was. Meaning Jesus was able to be around particular people. Jesus was able to know God's word. He was able to be holy. And so now those of us who by faith believe in him to be disciples of Jesus is to follow the way that he did. Therefore, we have to have a sense of understanding. And the way that we're going to have that understanding is that we have to be shaped not by the values of the world, right? We heard that, be in the world but not of the world, right? Everyone says that. No one knows exactly what it means ever. Um, Here's what's happening. Being in the world, be of the world. One, it's never mentioned in the Bible, but I do think that this is where they get it from. And it's be in the world, meaning take jobs, marry people, have kids, um, have fun, pray, worship. Be in the world but not be of it, meaning don't have the values of this world shape you. But Jesus says be shaped by truth. He says the word. He says, God, your word is truth. And he's not saying it's an adjective like the word of God is true. He's saying, no, it's truth. And as we are shaped by the word of God, now we're able to have discernment and wisdom, meaning there are certain situations we can look in our work and our relationships and our neighborhoods and go, you know what? We need to completely reject that. For us to be set apart um, on God's mission, we we have to reject these particular things. And then there are certain things we go, you know what, with a little tweaking here, we're able to, in response to the gospel, see these things redeemed. And then we can say some things that are in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhood, they're consistent with the activity of the gospel. They're they're consistent with the lifestyle of the gospel. Now, you would love for me to say those three things are, but no, that that would make you just listen to me and not think. What Jesus is saying for God's people— When we have unity, it's not organizational unity that there should be one mega denomination. It's saying, look at the word of God, follow Jesus, but know these three consistent things as you are on mission and pray towards them. That we would understand that we were kept. Our relationship with God will always be by faith in Jesus. That the way that we would experience joy in the midst of good or bad circumstances is through obedience and following Jesus. 
And the way that we are to live in this world is to be set apart in whatever organization, whatever family, whatever neighborhood that God has us, but we are to do so in the response to Jesus Christ. And the way that we can do all those things, and the means that they will be accomplished. Like, I'm, I'm 100% sure that the mission of God will be accomplished through the church, and the mission of God will be accomplished through this church. He said, well, that's a lot of confidence. I don't, listen, trust me, I don't have confidence in you. And I don't have confidence in me. But I do have confidence in God. Here's what Jesus says as he closes up this in verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Jesus is saying, I myself am being set apart for the holy work of God. And Jesus' holy work for us was that for the, the, the plan of God, the mission of God, is that he would come, bring glory to him through giving his life. You see, we love following leaders who get their hands dirty, right? Like, it bothers us when people tell us what to do when they've never done it. You know what you should do? You should do this and this. How that worked out for you? Ah, oh, <laughs> I read a book, right? Yeah, I didn't do it. Like, that bothers us sometimes. But Jesus just says, I got my hands dirty. I got my, life, I got my life messy. Like, I got bloody in this. And so when Jesus says, this is what we ought to do, he's not saying, you have to do this because I did it in that way. No, he's saying, you should do this and know that you can do this because I've done it on your behalf. So Jesus goes from just not just being an example of this is how to live missionally. Jesus says, no, 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 this is, this is how you can. By through him, in response to him, in love with him. That that's why I can say confidently, I know we'll be able to do it. Because God cares about this mission more than we do. I say this all the time. God cares about this church more than any of us. I'm so convinced of that. I'm so convinced. And whenever he says, you know what, I'm done with redemption, he'll shut the doors and we'll be done, and some other church will come in and buy this building and make fun of the church that was here before like we do. Um, and it'll be fine. God will be honored some way. But what we need to know is God's sovereign hand and God's mission in our life. Throughout this whole prayer, Jesus is saying, keep them, keep them, keep them. It's all about him and in how we now live in response to him. Our relationship and unity with, with him, it's kept by God. Our joy will be experienced through grace as we respond to that grace through obedience. And then our mission work or our service to each other and to this world and all that we do, making all of life being all for Jesus, is something that we can only do in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.